You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hi. Hello. How are you? I am okay. How are you? I'm fine. It's weird asking you that for the first time today since we've been sitting in the same apartment for like the last five hours. <laughs> we really have. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah. No, we spend a lot of time in the same space. It's not like we're always <laughs> hanging out. I have shit to do. Yeah, we, we both have many things. You have like a job. I like have hobbies because yeah. I don't have a job. I have a job, but you know, I have a COVID job. <laughs> Such is the COVID life. As is, yeah. Oh my God. I, um, I saw the first commercial for the first piece of media. It's literally called Love in the Time of Corona. Ugh, being put no. out by Freeform. I wish I was kidding. Oh my God, no. Ugh. It's legitimately horrible. That's terrifying. I remember at the beginning of quarantine, there's all these tweets being like, imagine all the horrendous novels being written right now about people's experiences in quarantine. Like, yeah. yeah. Imagine all the terrible TV series and Hallmark movies that are in development. True. Yeah. Lifetime movies. Although a bunch of Netflix stuff just got canceled because they just can't go back and film. Um, that is... Sad. Yeah, it is. There's going to be like no no fall TV besides Love in the Time of Corona. I guess I had friends working on some of those series, and now I'm like that blows that that was going to be like, you know, big break shit. Your and time now, to shine. And yeah, not not so much. I'm really bummed for them. Acting is really canceled. <laughs> As are so many things. Everything is canceled. But I was getting I got new headshots today, and I was like, for what? <laughs> They look great. I'm excited. But like, you know, why? You did this for why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after our, you know, brief COVID discussion, as begins every podcast. We can't not. No, it's just too part of life, you know? Yeah. I guess we could talk about like politics, which we're going to get political later. So yeah. Um, but not current politics, because that's just a horror show that we don't, uh, we can't even begin to think about. No, I'm just constantly thinking about it, which is why I can't talk about it. True. <laughs> it's bad. Mm-hmm. What's good news? Do you have good news for today? I was not expecting you to ask me that question, and no. Um, I did. I am going to mail a letter out to my pen pal. Very That's nice. Exciting. That's yeah. good. I have uh, three pen pals at the moment, so it's very, very cool. That is cool. Yeah. Write letters to your friends, kids. Save the USPS. Yeah. Buy stamps. Mm-hmm. What's your piece of good news today? I don't know. The headshots, I guess. Oh, our bookshelves came. Yeah, they're right behind you. It's yeah. Very, we are, we're, we're pumped. We're redecorating. That's our Corona project. It is. The living room looks great. Sometime we'll, we'll take Maybe a Maybe we'll take a ritual. ritual. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, my name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And you guys are listening to the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where we always do housekeeping that has nothing to do with anything and then talk about Teen Wolf. We, we have a consistency. And an image to keep up. I like to think that people like the sort of banter at the beginning. Because my favorite part about podcasts is when you're like, you're having a rough day, but you like want to feel like part of a conversation, but without the actual like... Emotional investment. Or human mm-hmm. interaction. True. So you're like, I'm kind of here. I'm, I'm in on this, but you also don't have to participate, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, socializing for anxious people. <laughs> 
We aim to please. We really do. Um, what episode are we talking about, Julia? We're talking about season three, episode seven, which is called Currents. Sure is. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was written by Mr. Jeff Davis and Angela Harvey, who has been doing a, a bang-up job this whole season, mm-hmm. um, and directed by our dear friend, Russell Mulcahy. So much water. So much water. And you know what? I have to say that I have missed it. I have, especially because I was like, oh, like, Motel California is so good. Um, Freight is so good. But, like... In in comparison of the direction, mm-hmm. if you watch those, if you watch them all on mute, this would be the preferable episode. It's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. We're gonna have um, a bit of our normal discussion, and then have a bit of a broader discussion when we get to sort of the end conclusion of this episode. But before we do that, we have to do a 60 second recap. Yes, and it is Christian's turn to go first. Ew. Uh, and, you know, as always, there was a lot happening in this episode. So, so much. Um, are you ready? Um, yes. Okay. Three, two, one, go. So there is a 10 car, a car pile up. So the ER is like going nuts. And uh, then Ethan comes in with Danny and he has a completely unrelated problem. And Melissa saves him. Woo-hoo. And then they realize that the on-call doctor and the ER attending physician are both missing. And the sheriff comes to investigate. And the alphas leave a symbol at Derek's apartment being like, we're coming. And then Scott and Isaac are walk- watching over Melissa. And it's really cute. And then at school, uh, Deaton calls Scott and tells him that he's going to be the third sacrifice because it's healers or whatever. And then Boyd and Isaac go to protect Derek. Eric and Boyd has like this electricity plan and then the sheriff goes to the vet to find Scott and tells him that he's going to help whatever and then Scott is, is like Styles you have to tell your dad about werewolves and he's like I don't know if I can and then Morel tells them to go to Lydia for help um, and then Cora threatens Lydia and Militia shows Scott shows the sheriff like the bodies and then Styles, Cora and Lydia try to Ouija their way into finding Deaton and then Ducalion tells Scott to help him or Ducalion tells Scott that he needs to find Deaton, but he's gonna is gonna kill Derek. Oh my gosh, seriously? Yeah. Wow. Do you just want to pick up where I left off? Sure. That was rough. Okay, so we had just gotten to um, Ducalion being dramatic. Yeah. Okay. Dang, guys, I'm sorry about that one. I really was dropping the ball. No, I think you were getting a very good detail. It's just again too much. Arguably, too much is happening. Too, not arguably. Too, Too much, much is happening, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll discuss. Are you ready for your mm-hmm. minute to do the other half <laughs> of the episode? Yeah. Okay, yeah. one, two, three. Okay, so Deucalion basically tells Scott that um, he can save Deaton or he can save Derek, but he can't do both. And then they figure out that uh, Danny was working on a school project that uh, involves the Tolerik currents in Beacon Hills because Beacon Hills is a beacon. Oh, my God. Um, and they steal it from Danny's hospital room, and then they go to um, Allison's house, and they figure out that they're that Chris has been tracking all of the murders. And so they eventually figure out with Cora where uh, Deaton is being held, which is in the bank vault. And so they split up and Scott says that we can save both of them. Um, Kali has managed to cut the power. And so their whole plan of electrocuting each other doesn't work. Um, They start fighting. They bring in Jennifer because uh, that's kind of their leverage. Um, Same time, Scott gets to the bank and he finds Deaton. Deaton is like almost dying and he's surrounded by a barrier of mountain ash that... um, Scott tries to break through, and then his eyes turn red. Sheriff comes in, um, gets Deaton down, and Deaton's like, you're a true alpha, Scott. And then back at uh, Derek's house, um, they're still fighting, and he ends up getting just totally beaten down. I also didn't make it. Yeah. it. There's not a whole lot after that. No. But most importantly, 
Derek kills Boyd. Uh, not of his own volition. No, no. The alphas kill Boyd. They yeah, just use, use Derek to do it. Yeah. And Chris goes to Gerard and says, you're going to tell me everything about Deucalion. And Gerard's like, haha, no, I won't. And then Allison comes in and is like, you're going to tell me everything about Deucalion. Yes. The end. Yep. So this week, our theme is going to be ultimatum. There's a lot of choosing between things <laughs> in this episode. Very rock and a hard place type deal. Yeah. Um, for a lot of our characters. Uh, where would you like to start? Um, you know what? Let's start kind of at the very beginning of the episode uh, with Mil- Melissa. Yeah. Because, first of all, we have not seen the parents, I think, in a long time. They will field trip made that hard. Yes. Two full episodes without them. Yeah. yeah. Um, With some like brief like grand like glances at like Daddy Argent. So <laughs> Daddy Argent. Yeah. Um, so Melissa is. Uh, I was about to say hanging out in the ER, but no, she she works there. She's not hanging out. Um, um, no, I think a lot of <laughs> doctors will tell you that just being in the ER is like hanging out until something bad happens. But something terrible has yes, happened. Yeah. Uh, there's a ten car pileup and. And neither of the doctors who are supposed to be there um, are there. And so she's trying to deal with that. And then all of a sudden, Danny comes in and he is vomiting up mistletoe. And she says that his like throat has shifted to the side, which is a thing I did not know could happen. Gross. His lung has uh, collapsed and his heart is something crazy is happening with his heart. And so she basically has to decide um, if she's going to wait for the doctors to get there. But Scott asks, is he dying? And she knows that he is, and so she she saves Danny's life. Mm-hmm. She goes ahead and she makes that choice. Yeah. I mean, and I granted do not know, like, what the sort of, what your, like, qualifications allow you to do and not do. I feel like often when you're getting treated, you do just get treated by nurses unless things are really going crazy. But it's clear that she is not making this decision, at least within the rules of, like... <laughs> Teen Wolf medical law, like Which, because as we all know, it doesn't do make sense. Up. I have another thought on that. Um, in the rules of Teen Wolf medical law, it's clear that she is worried that she would be committing an act of like malpractice mm-hmm. if she does this without an attending physician. Um, so, it, it looking at Danny, she obviously as a nurse, you know, wants to save his life. As a mom would want to save his life. As a human being would wants to save him but is worried about what that could mean on a personal level. It obviously ends up choosing Danny mm-hmm. um, over anything, which is like the right choice. Yeah. But she does go through that thought process of like, am I allowed to do this? What happens if I don't, what happens if it doesn't work? It's, I think it's part of Melissa's like evolution into becoming a person who is more and more involved in the shenanigans of her son's life. Um, like this is a one moment ultimatum, but she has been continuously breaking rules, uh, to try and help the sheriff and to try and help Scott. And this was just another one of those huge moments where it's like, am I gonna, am I gonna make the, the brave, completely reasonable choice? Uh, or am I not? And I I think that that's like a foregone conclusion. You know, she's not going to let him die, Mm -hmm. but the fact that she actually goes through with it. I think Melissa is changing. Yeah. For the better. Yeah. I mean, it's also just like, even not even like being like, this is like part of her character arc. It's like, you take the, the oath when you become a health professional to like always save people's lives and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you've 
taken that oath and it, it's about whether or not you, you stand by that or, and will do the best of your ability knowing that if you are taking risks, it could also end in the bad way. You know, like that mm-hmm. is something that I think is really interesting just from like a doctor show perspective from a doctor show perspective. <laughs> I love doctor shows. Uh, there would never be only one attending physician in an ER, no matter how big your hospital is. Mm-hmm. Um, and your on call doctor is on call. They're like in the on call room. Yeah. They're there at the hospital. <laughs> Like, they might be sleeping because it's nighttime or whatever, but, like, you're, you would never... And if this was really happening, if you really got a, a bunch of people coming in from a 10-car pileup, you'd be pulling doctors from other units and departments to come help. Yeah, it's like they've never seen an episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> they've never seen an episode of Scrubs if they think this is how it works. I, uh, I don't think that this is, like, a paragon of medical shows, but, like, ER, I'm assuming, would also know this. I love ER. Yeah. House? House would know this. Yeah. <sighs> and it's it, the only thing that they had to do to make that make sense is to make the accident worse and make it so literally all hands on deck. Like there's nobody to attend to Danny because there's a bunch of people who are bleeding out. Yeah. They didn't have to be like, there's no doctors here. Just say all the doctors are busy. I believe that. Mm-hmm. If you've been in the ER, you wait for a long time. Know why? Because doctors are busy. <laughs> yep. 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 You know, it's bad news if you skip the line. <laughs> Uh, the good news is I'm seeing a doctor. The bad news is I'm probably dying. Yeah. They're like, yeah. we're going to take you back right away. And you're like, oh my God, it's so much worse than I thought it was. <laughs> Damn it. Damn. Um, yeah, no, I do. I just think that that is, it, it's really interesting to start the episode in that way and to have that act of like the, uh, like the act of choice be the biggest kind of theme throughout the episode for our characters. It, mm-hmm. it, it almost introduces it in like a lighter way where you feel like it can work out. Mm. Only for it to not. It's resolved very quickly. Like, that moment of tension is broken pretty easily. Um, Danny has even managed to say thank you, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Yeah, no, he wouldn't no be way. able to do that. Although, the refilling of lungs, because this happens all the time in medical <laughs> shows, is, like, one of my favorite, like, ER-type, like, dramatizations. Oh, my God. Uh, the concept of having a collapsed lung, I just find horrifying it's pretty yucky yeah it's gross but i do think your esophagus shifting is grosser oh yeah tell us what you find grossest about (laughs) medical mysteries everybody we are waiting with bated breath we really Um, are um yeah i mean we don't have to hang on melissa a lot i just think that is really interesting that that is how the episode starts that the parents are back thank god thank god um and she makes the right choice and saves danny because she is a hero yeah, there's no hemming and hawing. No. It's a moment of urgency. She solves the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Women. We love her. Yeah. Uh, who do you want to talk about next? Hmm. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, Styles, perhaps, really quickly. Yeah. What, what, are you, what were your thoughts? Well, Styles clearly kind of spends this whole episode trying to decide what it is going to what decision is going to take him in the right direction but the big ultimatum he faces is whether or not he should tell his dad about werewolves because this episode in particular uh sheriff is so close to what's happening the murders are happening a lot faster they're getting to the bodies a lot faster than they had been over the fir- like the first part of the season mm-hmm. and clearly like the like sheriff's department cannot 
do anything about this without all of the information. But Styles is really worried about severing the relationship he has with his father because he saw that, you know, Melissa treated Scott really weird after what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and any Styles can't put any risk on his relationship with his dad because it is all he has left. Which is very emotional. It is. For him. Um, yeah, and what I find really interesting about that is he's very much cognizant of the fact that not telling his dad is the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And he even says that. He's like, I'm my emotions are not making me right in this moment. Yeah. Um, and we're not, we don't see that scene in this particular episode, but like, the sheriff even says to Scott, I need you to tell me everything. There's an implication that he knows that something bigger is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially knows that Scott and Styles are at the heart of it because they're at every crime scene. Styles called him. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is crazy. Like, it, it must be so hard to know that you are making the wrong decision by not telling someone and know that, like, the way ultimately to make sure that people stay safe Mm -hmm. and to make sure that, you know, all of the information is getting to the right people that you eventually have to kind of shatter that perception of normalcy. Yeah. And I think when it, when we look at what styles is kind of going through, like, even though he does know that the right thing is to do, the right thing to do is to tell his dad, there's not anything stopping him from spiraling with that idea. Like it really is terrifying. The idea that like, I think, like, if, just at the base of it, is, like, if he tells his dad he thinks that his dad isn't going to love him anymore, that's kind of what it's being implied. That that would be the thing that would finally do it, that, like, the biggest secret being kept, like, the thing that his dad wouldn't forgive him for, which obviously isn't true, but I think when you are somebody who really, again, he, he, it's not even like Styles has siblings, you know? Well, and especially if we think back to, like, Lydia's party and the hallucinations that everybody has. I mean, Styles is very specific where his father is accusing him of being the one mm-hmm. that killed his mother, which is objectively not true. No, but it is, like, a thing that people go through when someone close to them dies is mm-hmm. is, is guilt. And if Styles has had that thought, then it doesn't shock me that this that, that this is another thought that he's having, you know, that's in, in part of experiencing loss at such a young age. Yeah. Oh, everybody in the show needs a therapist. Twice a week. Go to therapy. It's so good for you. It's if you can if you can make that happen in your life. If you can afford it. Go. It's covered by insurance. Just go. Just go. Yeah. Um They've built I mean, they've built this arc up for so long of Styles keeping all of this from his dad. I mean, we're in season, we're in the middle of season three. Uh so you kind of know that it's coming. Mm-hmm. But this is really the moment where you see him deciding that that's the right choice and and that that's what he's got to follow through on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and then other than that, like just going, moving on with Styles, but sort of segueing back into the rest of the episode. The rest of this episode, he is sort of at the mercy of everybody else's decisions. Yeah. And they're the ultimatums that they face, specifically Scott. Um which even leads him to being there to at, which even leads him to Scott sort of relegating Styles and Cora and Lydia to be the ones to go save save Derek, which is interesting because 
there is a moment where you can tell that he'd rather be with Scott and go save Deaton. Not because he doesn't want to save Derek, but I think there is a part where he's like, I don't want you to be alone in this because I think that that is dangerous. And it is, obviously, because if Styles had been there... He would have just been able to... To walk through the mountain ash. Exactly. Yeah. So that that is interesting to me. So should we talk a little bit about Scott now? Let's let's do that. Cool. Thoughts? Well, we finally arrived. (laughs) We finally arrived at the true alpha of it all so lame <laughs> i mean joyous and wonderful yeah, but, but dumb they come up with like so many other words for things like the dark druid is not just a dark druid it's a Duroc. why couldn't there have been like a fun french or like celtic name for, a for true, true alpha? alpha yeah something um that's that's not about ultimatum but it is it's uh, dumb. Something, but like i don't know something greek <laughs> you know yeah um so scott Whilst Styles is um, trying to get Lydia to figure out where Deaton is, because Morel kind of pointed them in that direction and did not explain how that might work at all. Um, he, she really is like, give us nothing, queen. <laughs> what? Yeah, it drives me Bare nuts. minimum. Woo-hoo. Hell yeah. Um, Ducalion is also like bare minimum, but he is ex- like explicitly evil. <laughs> Whereas like I'm like, Morel, please, just slightly more. Make me like you. He's for sure doing it on purpose, and she's trying to keep the balance, but sh- like just helps... Not at all. Okay, you know what? I think anybody who is like lawful neutral, which is what Morel is supposed to be portrayed as, is mm-hmm. performatively neutral, and that's why she's annoying. <laughs> if she was actually keeping balance, she'd be like true neutral and give proper information in either direction. Mm-hmm. But giving little like passive hints is like, God, come oh, on, God, you're clearly picking a side. Come on, give give us more. Um, yeah, so they're trying to figure that out, and. Scott runs into or is purposefully drawn to the music room where Deucalion basically says in a very schoolyard kind of way where he's like, if you can take this cane from me, I'll tell you where your boss is, which he like is karate kids. Scott. (laughs) It's, it's ridiculous. And then he basically lays it out for Scott. You can either save Deaton or you can save Derek. And he doesn't really tell Scott, where Deaton is, and he doesn't really, like, talk about what's going to happen with Derek. He's just like, well, one of them's going to die. How does Deucalion know where Deaton is? Does he know about the currents first? I think it's implied that they're very on top of the Duroc thing. Okay. So, so the, But probably. then they would know it was Jennifer. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Scott's M.O. always is that there is no such thing as a, a lose-lose situation for him. Mm-hmm. It's always a Captain win-win. Captain Kirk. Yeah. He doesn't believe in no-win scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they figure out where Deaton is being held, he essentially has to trust his friends to go save Derek. Which is very interesting to me that he chooses, that he chooses Deaton. Mm-hmm. Rather than having Styles go get Deaton and him going to help Derek. Well, I think in his mind, the, th- the, the bigger supernatural threat is probably f- to face alone would be the Duroc at this point, because at least he knows he's sending styles to go be with a bunch of werewolves who are also helping Derek. Mm-hmm. Like he's not sending styles alone. He's sending him with Cora and with Lydia. Not that Lydia can do much at this point, <laughs> but like, 
sending him in with Korra, even though they don't really trust Korra all that much at this point, is a lot different from sending him alone to go find Deaton. I also think, and Styles says this in the episode, like, I know he's like a dad to you. I know he's a father figure to you. And I think Scott would never let himself forgive himself for not being the one to save him. Because if something went wrong, it would be his fault either way. Yeah. Well, and especially because Deaton calls him and is like, in a very Liam Neeson taken kind of way. I know. Ugh. It's like, I'm about to be taken. Yeah. And you need, like, you specifically need to be the one to come find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, who who really knows how much Deaton knows at this point? But uh, I think he had some sort of inkling that it, like, needed to be Scott because we then find out that Scott is a true alpha. Yeah. Through that particular choice that he makes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is not, um, it's a win-lose for Scott, ultimately. It is, yeah. Um, and I think it's actually, you know, far more interesting, um, I I mean, we're gonna get here because I have a ton of problems with it but it is interesting that he does technically save them both only to lose in the way that he loses boyd mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me a little bit of the dark knight yeah mm-hmm. yeah where like he really thinks he's going to be able to save rachel but only ends up saving harvey which is the greatest twist in cinematic history it's is so it good. is no. it really no but is the dark knight so good <laughs> yes it is yeah Ooh, everybody tell us your thoughts on the robert pattinson batman trailer it's, i know you have them it's going to be bad but it also might be good yeah so technically scott is able to save them both um only to lose boyd and i do think that that's interesting um but it it is also like a point of like I think a realization for Scott that even if he wins, he's going to lose in this situation. And that is also the thing that the thing I find most compelling about having two villains in this season mm-hmm. is that because you're getting hit from all angles, like every behind every victory, it will be a failure. And you really have no way of knowing what the consequences of your choices are going to be until they get played out, mm-hmm. which is why ultimatums are so scary. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of, I've already a little bit brushed onto Boyd. I think it's time we talk about Derek. Let's talk about Derek. Derek makes a very interesting decision in this episode. I think it's kind of almost thrust upon him. Like, he is, he knows that the uh, alphas are coming after him because they painted their little symbol on mm-hmm. his window. How? I don't know. Um, but he's just, you know, brooding at the top of his spiral staircase. And then Boyd and Isaac come in and they're like, we're going to do, uh, we're going to help you defeat Kali by uh, running an electrical current through the water on the floor. And Derek's like, cool, great. Um, and when that does not work, he's forced into a battle situation with Kali, which he, that doesn't go well for him. Yeah. As you might imagine. And Derek... Now, Derek's the actual ultimatum he is given is that he has to join the pack or fight Kali. Um, for real. For real. And it's interesting because you know there's no chance in hell he'd ever join the pack. He would never be a part of their pack. He, one, I think he likes the power of owning his own pack and would never want to kill them anyway, like, you know, human perspective. But he 
vehemently disagrees with everything they stand for. So there was no situation in which that he in which he would choose um, joining their pack, but the decision to fight Kali he knows is almost as dangerous because it puts everyone he loves in in peril. Um, and what strikes me as so interesting is that he actually accepts help from Isaac and Boyd. And Boyd's plan actually is really good mm-hmm. um, before they shut off the electricity. Um, I would have loved like a sort of Twilight like research scene where Boyd is like just typing in yeah one point twenty one gigawatts or whatever. <laughs> um, but that doesn't strike me as in character for Derek. Accepting help, yeah, especially from them. Well, I think he doesn't know what to do, and he has been given a solution. Very interesting. I kind of wonder what the point was in not having Peter in this particular episode, because I'm sure Peter would have come up with an answer or some sort of idea. Okay. I think in the realm where Boyd doesn't die, Peter would have come up with a plan. But because Mm -hmm. they decided to kill Boyd in this episode, which we're going to get to, they had to give him like, you know, five extra lines or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um... I don't know. I think one Derek basically just came back from the dead, sort of. Yeah. So he's probably feeling extra vulnerable, um, and can't really figure out how to get himself out of that situation. And he kind of tries to brush them off by being like, "Oh, that's stupid. You're just children." But ultimately, um, he does not have a better idea, and. When you don't have any better ideas, what are you going to do except listen to the teenagers? Fair. That's how all teen shows are run, actually. Well, we can't think of anything better, so time to listen to the 16-year-old. Derek almost always defers to other people to make the plans. So it kind it's, of It's usually Peter, too. Again, another reason why it's so interesting that he's not in this episode. Yeah. Was he in Bowen Busy? <laughs> Question. I have questions. questions. You know, Derek also does kind of face a different sort of in battle ultimatum where Kali is like, it's one on one or I kill Jennifer. Which? Which is actually a, also an ultimatum kind of for Isaac and Boyd because they want to help Derek but can't because then their English teacher would die. But imagine if they had just killed her. <laughs> the whole rest of the season would not even matter. There, I find that very interesting because I feel this is where not developing certain characters kind of bites you in the ass because we see Derek and Jennifer interact in two episodes. They fuck in the last one. And it's disgusting. So gross. It's so gross. But Derek is not a stranger to making tough decisions like that. I know he doesn't want innocent people to die, but he's also let that happen before. Yeah. He's also been okay with it happening before. Mm-hmm. And I think Derek kind of understands the concept of sacrificing something, um, which is kind of the theme of the show. But perhaps he's like trying to be human. I don't know. Well, like the whole thing just kind of doesn't work out logically for me. Well, I also think that Derek might be somebody who is so, so isolated that any like any form of intimacy he automatically has like deep connection with because mm-hmm. there's nobody else who shows him affection like that yeah or comfort like that and to have somebody do that and then have it ripped away would be very jarring um 
So that is interesting. Do we should we move into talking about Boyd? I think that it's time. Yeah. So we have mentioned before that we've kind of given Teen Wolf a little bit of like the 2012 pass. Like we weren't really thinking enough about diversity in shows, but this is three years after the start of the series. Um, And they decide to kill off one of the only black characters. And unfortunately, the other option was actually killing off the other black character if this episode had gone in a different direction crazy how they put themselves in that situation and teen wolf kind of got like press in its early stages for being a sort of um progressive show and there are elements where you're like yeah you're right that wasn't being seen in any teen television at the time um or wasn't being talked about in that way But to kill Boyd in this way, to have it so unceremonious, and then to not have another, like, black character in your recurring cast until season five, who's not Deaton or Morel, who's, like, not there that often, Mm -hmm. is insane. Um, And it's so unceremonious. And I mentioned to you earlier that, like, we don't even get a funeral for Boyd. Like, there's no mourning of this death. Him and Erica. Just yeah. without a second thought, really. And the thing that frustrates me the most is that, like, obviously Boyd doesn't, in his final moments, doesn't blame Derek for what's happened because he knows that Derek would never kill him willingly. Mm-hmm. But he does say, it's okay just to, know, you know, have been a werewolf. He's basically thanking him for, like, his life as a werewolf, which, uh, as we know, sucked. Real hard. Yeah. Um, and then is like, I guess the implication is that he's okay dying because he gets to be with Erica again, which I would love if that had been more fleshed out, but they stopped talking about her after she died because we also didn't mourn her. There was no, there was no way to put any kind of emotional weight behind Boyd's death because they had not invested enough time in building him up as a character to begin with. And so they wrote themselves into a corner. Mm-hmm. But also, I think... In the last season, and, like, season two is only 12 episodes, there's still a lot of what feels like filler scenes or scenes that could have been cut or you could have filmed something and been like, you know what, I'd actually prefer that to be in here rather than the freaking closet scene. Yeah, which makes no sense. with Lydia and and Aiden. I was like, ah, I would love if that was just a scene of Isaac and Boyd talking. Yeah, and for... The fact, like, I get there is only so much you can do in Mm -hmm. 40 some odd minutes, but there's so much wasted space in a lot of other episodes that you, that they could have paid attention to it if they had been thinking ahead. Yeah. Which seems to be the main problem here. And and I do want to say, we're white. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So I don't want to speak for anybody, but we actually did have somebody reach out to us, uh, Julia's wonderful friend, Kelly, and offer us some resources and some interviews talking about race relations in Teen Wolf. And we actually have a statement from Kelly, um, which I'll have Julia read out loud really quickly. Yes. Kelly has said, Teen Wolf is among many genre television shows that began in the 2010s as a series that was willing to make an effort to be inclusive, but struggled without many of the tools to be as socially aware as it thought it was. That's interesting. And it's nice hearing that from a black woman. Um, Just because I think that we are all kind of grasping at that conclusion. And 
I think we're kind of united in that thought about Teen Wolf. Yeah, um, a lot of the articles specifically touch on the fact that um, one of the main issues in Teen Wolf is, is its colorblindness, which is something that was very de rigueur in like the early 2000s as like a I don't see race. Colorblindness is more often detrimental than it is helpful. Yes. Because uh, it doesn't give any sort of acknowledgement to what characters might be going through. Like it kind of refuses to acknowledge that these shows happen in our world with everything that is behind that, uh, that goes behind existing like in America. Yeah. Very specifically. Um, and I know we've talked about before specifically with like LGBTQ issues that Jeff Davis has said he doesn't want to make this an issues show using air quotes because that's ridiculous. But um, simply by having like diverse characters in your cast or by tackling certain subjects, you are making it an issue show and not wanting to address it really misses the ball on what you could achieve. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? We read a quote from from Jeff Davis that said something along the lines of when we send out our casting calls, like our break, our casting breakdowns, it never specifies ethnicity, which, and this is something we talked about in theater school, almost always guarantees that a white person gets cast. If you don't specifically say that I want a person of color or like a non-binary person or a trans person in this role, you're going to end up with a white cis able-bodied straight mm-hmm. person in that role. Um, or even sometimes if that is the breakdown, you still end up with white cis able-bodied people in those roles because no matter what, if you grew up in a society, like you are <laughs> experiencing inherent bias and mm-hmm. casting directors are obviously not immune to that, no matter how much they go in being like, oh, I'd love, you know, a black person for this role. But if they see somebody who, you know, they think quote unquote acts it better, which whatever casting is a mystery to me, like they would divert to that. And mm-hmm. often that is based on like bias. So Jeff Davis being like, well, we send out these colorblind casting calls, like breakdowns means that he doesn't actually care enough to ensure that diverse people make it in those roles. There's also the issue um, in the, in the same article that we're, we're reading a, a transcript. So um, that did uh, Kelly uh, tra- uh, do that for us? Uh, it was on a uh, live journal. Oh, okay. So, one of the things that he he does say, and I'm paraphrasing here, but that he feels as a as a white man who grew up in a middle class uh, environment, that he doesn't really understand issues of race and class in a way that other people might. Which I find um, watch the news, bitch. <laughs> watch the news, but also it's not enough to hire um, a wide range of actors if you don't have that same breakdown reflected in your writers' room. And what I find fascinating about this episode in particular is that Angela Harvey, who has written on this episode and on quite a few in this particular season, and was one of the first women that we saw writing on the staff, is black. Yeah. So it's not as though, you know, and I don't know the entire breakdown of the writer's room, but it's not as though there were not diverse voices there to seek out. No, but it's very clear that he was not diverting judgment to the people who could speak from experience. Yeah, and and particularly because 
um, he seems to feel such an ownership over Teen Wolf because he created it, even though he's not writing every episode, that... I mean, he's a showrunner, so... Yeah, so that makes sense, but I, I think his sense of ownership over it really inhibited him from reaching out to other people who could have added those perspectives. Which, at this point, I would just rather people admit that they don't know and ask for help. Yeah. So many issues can be avoided that way, or so many issues can be addressed. Yeah, and what really kind of annoyed me in that interview that um, we were sent is that he went on at the end to be like, oh, also Cinco Walls was looking for other work. Which... (laughs) Yeah, I would too if I was getting that little screen time in Teen Wolf. Um, Which is fine. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you want your career to progress, and if you feel like you're done with Teen Wolf, like, go on and you know, get other work or whatever. But all of a sudden being like, oh, well, the reason we had to kill Boyd is because Singbo Walls was busy. Well, I we mean, had to. I mean, he, he, uh, I honestly bet he would have stuck around if he felt like he was being, you know, given good work or whatever. If Boyd's character was gonna was clearly being going to be developed into something stronger, a main player. Which yeah. Boyd and Isaac both could have been big main players in this in this season but there's all of a sudden so many characters because of the alpha pack because of you know the Duroc that it's like they didn't make enough room for the people that we were going to end up really caring about and then they ended up being taken off the show yeah I mean I think it's one thing to really be upfront about like the realities of the business and the realities of like well we couldn't get this actor for a certain amount of time or like we weren't something that he mentions was like the the budget didn't allow for them to have as many guest stars and I know that that has to do a lot too with like who's billed when and and yada yada but like there are certain realities and it's fine to talk about that but also I think you need to find a way to work around it. If that's yeah. the reality of your business. Like, we don't really... Like, you know what? Cora dips after this season and doesn't actually do a lot in this season. And I really like Adelaide Kane. Follow her on TikTok. She's very funny. But if, keeping, but if not including Cora in this season meant having a real arc for Boyd... And I again, I could forgive his death more if he had had substantial character buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately what happens to Boyd is Erica is fridged for his emotional arc. He doesn't get an emotional arc and then uh, is okay with dying because Erica died. Which is bad on all, on all ends. It's like Erica was fridged for Boyd and now Boyd has been fridged for everybody else's emotional growth. And yet none of them ever react past this episode. Not at all. It's infuriating. Like, why doesn't Isaac have this huge reaction to Boyd's death? Isaac also should have had a reaction to Erica's death, maybe not as strong as Mm -hmm. Boyd's. But like for a while in season two, they were like the sort of like anti like <laughs> Styles, Scott and Allison, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I, where, where was that? Too, we're too busy getting weird makeout scenes, which like, I love a good makeout scene. <laughs> but again, but. we, we, when we were watching this and they were making out in the closet, I literally asked Christian, I was like, didn't this already happen? We've already seen them making out in the closet. We already get sex positive Lydia, which great. I love that. But there are so many moments that you could tell in the 30 seconds yeah. that that scene takes 
And this episode felt long. It felt long. Yeah. It was crowded. And we're just talking about this episode. There are so many times in the episodes previous, with the exception of Motel California. I don't really know when you'd fit that in there. Mm-hmm. So many times in the episode, so many times on the episode on the bus where we're going back to those slow motion um, fight scenes that have nothing to do with anything. And I wish we had just had a simple conversation between Isaac and Boyd. Just a conversation. I'm also like one of those bitches who like, I only like movies where nothing happens and you just hear them talk for the whole time Mm -hmm. because it's like watching a play. Um, I really (laughs) wish that there had just little bits between them, between Boyd and Scott, just so that we had enough of him to understand what we were losing. Yeah. You know, I we, we talk a lot about how much we love uh, Styles and how, how he's really kind of the backbone of the show, him and Scott. But I think kind of one of the failures of his character is that they use him to expose plot points. The whole scene, on, the reason we don't have a scene with Isaac and Boyd talking on the bus is because Styles tells us what Boyd is feeling. Yeah. And he does that a lot. Yeah. We don't need Styles to tell us about other people. It's telling and not showing, which is, as we all know... Bad writing. Bad writing. It's also Jeff Davis using a white voice to describe uh, the feelings of... Um, by POC. Yeah, and it, here's the thing. Yes, this show was made years ago and not in the same kind of cultural environment that we live in now, um, but I think... Even then, people were capable of saying, hey, I don't really understand this. Will someone have a question? Will someone have a conversation about it with me? Well, at, at this point, what, what what year did this season like come 20, on? 2014? 2013? Yeah. yeah. Think of all like the prestige drama that was happening at this point where we can point to it and be like, that's a good example. Yeah. Obviously, Teen Wolf isn't trying to be prestige drama. I mean, it's slightly more prestige than like Riverdale, but like... It's just disappointing, and and it is the downfall of colorblind casting that you eventually start to sideline your characters of color, especially if you don't plan out your arcs, which is something that we see evidenced in so many different ways in Teen Wolf. Well, also, just like colorblind casting doesn't mean anything other than you are denying people the culture that they come from. Mm -hmm. If you write a character as neutral, that means you're writing the character as white. Yep. Which is bad and that i mean that's something that's talked about in quite a few of the articles that um kelly sent us with tyler posey's you know tyler posey is half mexican he has expressed in multiple interviews that he thinks that scott mccall is half mexican his mom's maiden name is delgado Mm -hmm. like there were ways to incorporate that into his character i think we see it like twice and it's like in maybe season four they spend all season four in mexico and never bring it up though so ridiculous absurd um we i know that that is maybe we obviously do drop political commentary into our podcast at all you know points but i know we did sort of divert a lot of time um and energy to that particular issue but it matters and we we love this show but it is certainly not without criticism and not just criticism about the writing but criticism about the way that certain characters are treated and it would be disingenuous of us to not talk about it and it would also be disingenuous of us to not bring up the fact that there are a lot a lot of black fans of teen wolf Mm -hmm. who really did not get to see themselves represented until mason is in the show and even then he's sort of just like a styles junior 
the next generation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would really frustrate me to have somebody, you know, sit on their laurels of creating this sort of perfect universe where nobody has issues, like where there's no issue politics, and I'm not in that universe. Yeah. I don't want to speak for anybody, though. That's, to handle this, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak on anybody's behalf. Certainly not. And if you guys have thoughts and feelings about this episode and about the way that characters of color in Teen Wolf are treated in general, we really want to hear that um, from you guys because... Because we can see in our Twitter threads and our Facebook group, like, Teen Wolf obviously has a diverse following and I want to hear from voices being represented or not being represented alike in how they approach the show because clearly we love it and you love Mm -hmm. it. But we want to know everyone's thoughts. Maybe we'll do, like, a mini-sode if anybody wants to send in thoughts we can you know express your thoughts um on air let us know if you are interested in that yes should we move into questions and observations let's do it Uh, would you like to go first um (laughs) oh i have one Mm -hmm. uh how does the car that is like on a city street where the doctor (laughs) is how does it roll its way all the way to the hospital uh well one i think the Duroc is a full drama queen um so I think that was important for her. I think she just like wanted everybody to see the car mysteriously wobble into the parking lot. I'm sure she was like, let's drive into the parking lot and then we'll dip mm-hmm. and then we'll go. But also, I mean, it's not like, oh, they reach down and her shoe is like stuck on the accelerator or anything. It makes literally no sense. Yeah. No. It was just ghost guided there, I guess, because the Duroc can theoretically be in two places at once or hallucinated or whatever was happening in Motel California. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you have a question? Uh, this is, I mean, we've kind of covered this. It's more philosophical. Like, why doesn't Morel just tell them things? Why doesn't she just tell them that Lydia is a banshee? Because she's performatively balanced, Ugh. not actually. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why is it if you are suspended from your arms that you can't breathe medically? Medically, um, that is because you're like hyper extended and your ribs are extended and it's really hard to take a breath and you have to like use your muscles to kind of get yourself into a position where you can breathe. It's why like singing is easier when you are standing up versus sitting. It has like the compression of your ribs and your lungs and um, crazy. Yeah. That that's how crucifixion works. Yeah. Also disgusting. I mean, I guess that's how I would think that, I mean, I guess I don't know how I thought that crucifixion worked. I just assumed but that I only like... But l- I only learned how hanging worked <laughs> in, like, five years ago, so... Yeah. We're kind of lied to about many methods of torture and... Maybe for the best. Yeah. It's gross finding <laughs> out, actually. <laughs> Almost certainly for you the best. You really have to be able to do a pull-up to breathe. Yeah, which I I was, can't do a pull-up. Uh-uh. No, I was no. thinking about that. I would die... So quickly. So, yeah, three minutes in, I'm gone. So fast. Um, do you have another question? Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about Chris at all, but why doesn't Allison just ask him about the map? Uh, because he, they have both been uh, lying to each other about whether or not they're working on werewolf stuff, and if she asks him, she's admitting that she's working on werewolf stuff, so. It seems... Like an unnecessary conflict. Yeah, but once they once they start teaming up, it it, it it's always better when the parents know. No, so it is a necessary conflict, but I think it makes for good d- dramatic tension. Yeah. Is those, that your last question? Those are my questions. Yeah. Do you have any O's? Um, this is the first time that we hear Beacon Hills referred to as like a literal beacon. Boo. <laughs> um, which is a concept that 
I'm sure has been written about before, but is very specifically tied to like Buffy um, and the Hellgate. Like Sunnydale is the Hellmouth. Yeah. Um, it kind of happens in Supernatural too. In like the early seasons. I have no idea what's <laughs> happening in Supernatural now. Um, and it kind of made me think that this whole season is very similar to like season one of Buffy um, because really what they're trying to do is like stop the master vampire from coming to power. Mm-hmm. Um, and this whole, like they don't really know what they're doing this whole season, but they're trying to stop the evil forces basically from coming to Beacon Hills. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, oh, this also just touches back on, on Boyd's death, but I would like to point out that in season one during night school, Derek is impaled on the Alpha's claws, mm-hmm. on Peter's claws, and thrown against the school, and he lives. Yeah. So, yeah. Unclear. Derek survives everything, even pre Alpha likeness. Mm-hmm. Why is it that this would kill Boyd? Is it because it's his own Alpha's claws doing it? Because that would be an interesting piece of lore if they bothered explaining it to us. But no, they didn't give us an explanation for Boyd's death. They're like, he's dead, and you'll never see him again. Bye. They don't even mention his name ever again. It's so ridiculous. Ugh. Um, <laughs> what are some of your observations? I kind of talked about most of mine. I would like to say that the final fight has the same effect of uh, the Chamber of Secrets final battle in mm. the movie. Um, which is so funny because I, I have so many friends who are like, Chamber of Secrets is the worst Harry Potter book, but the best Harry Potter movie adaptation. Interesting. Which is more than one person has expressed that thought to me. I a little agree, just as far as like book to screen hmm. adaptation goes. But the having the water on the floor and everything, everything be so reflective and having that be like your major fighting stage and with like, not just like puddles or rain or anything, but having a layer of water on the floor is very effective. It's mm-hmm. very evocative. It's very pretty. Thank you, Russell. Um, it's also the final fight scene of Highlander because Russell Mulcahy okay, has one move and it's fighting in water. Um, yeah. But it looks great, so who cares? Yeah. Um, Everybody has a terrible day on set because you spend all day soggy, but you're just, eh. you're just wet. Just, yeah. You, like it's wet sleeve feeling, but for a full day, full oh. several <laughs> days of shooting, I'm sure. Yeah. That was the last of my O's. Do you have any O's? Uh, yeah. I had. Two, one, um, there's a just incredibly cute scene that we kind of mentioned during the recap uh, where Isaac and Scott are looking after Melissa um, because they're worried that she's going to be the third sacrifice, um, but they both fall asleep on the job in her room mm-hmm. and they all wake up there together. It is just so hard. It's just like one of those things where it's like, you know, when you're little and you're scared and you like sleep in your parents' bed? Yeah, That's, like that. That was sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I love the scene where Styles is going through Danny's stuff to like, find mm-hmm. the currents report and Danny's like why would I dream about you going through my stuff and Styles is like it's take responsibility for your own dream that is such a good Styles moment and also a good Styles Danny moment because they do love each other they really do um yeah speaking of Danny and speaking of people who love Danny there's that moment at the beginning of the episode where Ethan is like we wanted to know who was more like which one of these people was important to you Danny or Lydia and now we know it's Lydia which is absurd. Scott would never let anything happen to Danny. No. That's why he basically gives his mom like werewolf puppy dog eyes to save him. Give his lung back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's weird that Ethan would say that to him after Scott is like I'm saving Danny. Yeah, I 
There, there are a lot of moments in this episode. Who has the worst misread on Scott's character? The writers or the alphas? The All the alphas. They have no clue. They yeah. have no clue. That's that's very evident through this entire episode. Yeah. Um, that was last of my O's. Do you have any any concluding O's before we move into pack stats? I really liked the shirt Allison was wearing, but that's about it. She was a nothing player in this episode, which kind of bums me out. I feel like mm-hmm. she hasn't been around a lot. I'm like missing Allison. Me too. Hmm. Bummer. All right. Tell us about the pack stats. All right. We had four eyes. It's likely that there were more of these, but there was a lot of fighting and it was dark. Um, one claws, very significantly at the end. Um, gross. Uh, two shirts. Danny gets his ripped off in the hospital. And then Ethan, Aiden, whatever, has it off in the closet with the teacher's lounge. With wherever the or whatever. Are, yeah. Um, there was one ad for Twizzlers. Mm, I love Twizzlers. I'm sure there was a car ad. I just wasn't paying attention. And then uh, one siren. We had a siren? Yeah, like way at the beginning. I didn't even notice it. I made a mark, so I really I think didn't think so. we had a siren. It was quiet. All right, cool. If I'm wrong... Don't tell us. We don't, don't, don't care. <laughs> uh, I think that about up. wraps it up on what is maybe a slightly unusual but necessary episode of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we hope you leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, tell your friends who like Teen Wolf, because if you like Teen Wolf, I know you have friends who like Teen Wolf. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Teen Wolf at, uh, at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. And if you would like to join the Facebook group, you are more than welcome to. Just search Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast on Facebook and you'll find us and you can join in the discussion. Um... Other than that, I have been Christian. And I have been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Awoo!